And now, The Travel Show with Arthur and Pauline Fromer. Your chance to talk to the publishers of the nation's best-selling travel guide series. Whether your travel destination is around your corner or any corner of the world, the Fromers will help you get the most out of your travel experience and save you money at the same time. And now, Arthur and Pauline Fromer. And this is The Travel Show in which we talk about vacations. Welcome. I'm Arthur Fromer. And I'm Pauline Fromer. And in the time ahead, we're going to be discussing travel. And that's a conversation some of you might want to join. To do it, shoot me an email to FromerTravelShow at Yahoo.com. I found guests for this show that way. I found people with questions. You'd be surprised. As well, we are around not just on the weekends, but all week long. On social media, we have quite the presence. We hope you'll follow us. Just look for the word Fromers, F-R-O-M-M-E-R-S, on Pinterest, on Twitter, on Instagram, and on Facebook, and you'll find all kinds of really fun travel content that way. Frankly, a lot of those feeds lead back to our website, fromers.com, which gets 3 million unique users per month. That's 3 million individual people who go to us each month to get travel information. And one of the things we do each year that we've been talking every week about is the best places to go we in the coming year. We provide our own year. list of that. We, we, yes. we ask all of our authors yep. to tell us what they regard as the best places uh, to visit. But, Pauline, we have four openings left. Yes, we, we've, we have we've counted down Tokyo <laughs> and uh, Maastricht and Greenland and Papua New Guinea. We've, we've discussed those We've discussed. Length. So what one of the left? places we're saying to go is Cambodia. It is now 50 years since President Richard Nixon authorized the bombing of Cambodia during the Vietnam quagmire. Um, And it started a terrible trajectory for that country. But that country is back. And certain things that you would have expected to have happened already are happening now. So, for example, just last July, for the first time in 50 years... Thailand has resumed rail service from Bangkok to the Cambodian border. To Cambodia. And so there's going to be a, a ro- what they're calling the Royal Railway um, is going to go into the heart of Cambodia from Thailand for the first time in 50 years. Uh, and so that's going to make it so much easier for people who want to visit both countries and may not just want to go to Siem Reap, where you, which is the gateway to Angkor Wat. Right now, when people go to Cambodia, they only visit Angkor Wat, which is this glorious, once lost temple complex in the jungles that's been rediscovered and now is unfortunately getting a little over-touristed. But there are other parts of Cambodia with sim- similar temples that nobody goes to, but they're going to be able to do so easier because of this. Now, the reason, the reason that people never went to it in previous years, Pauline, is a very sad reason. It is yeah. because there occurred wholesale murders of the population yes. of Cambodia yeah. by, by the uh, well, Khmer I, Rouge. I, I, by the Khmer Rouge. Yes, yes the re- government there. Happily re- 
repress the name. I won't even yeah. think of those terrible people yeah. who, who killed thousands, thousands and thousands of, of, hundreds of Cambodian of citizens. Yes, but now, so it's coming back. Interestingly, it's kind of become a party zone for Chinese tourists. Chinese tourists have been taking over the beach resorts there and certain uh, areas where there are... Uh, uh, what are they called? Casinos. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, it it's on the cusp, we think. The entire country of Cambodia is on the cusp of joining the global tourist circuit in in earnest. And that's so why we're we saying, go to, now. We, go it, now. It, it is on our list. Now, Pauline, that leaves three n- remaining yes. destinations that well, we have chosen for One tw- of year the destinations is a kind of a twinny destination. It's Plymouth and Plymouth. Yeah, Plymouth, Plymouth, Massachusetts, and Plymouth in England. Right. Uh, and we start this out by saying, get ready to party like it's 1620, because <laughs> it is the anniversary of the Mayflower coming to the United States. But and what so, exactly is it the anniversary is? The, is the, it Mayflower, the, the Mayflower. The Mayflower actually touched of, yes, upon the, the ports of the of the United States or on the date on which they left England? Well, both happened in 1620. I mean, it wasn't... So a, the same year. The same the, year. Saw the departure as well as the landing. So, there's, so, so what's going to happen is a replica of the Mayflower, a life-size replica, is going to be first feted in Plymouth, England, and there's going to be all kinds of historic events, museum exhibitions, uh, lectures, all kinds of stuff around that on that side of the pond, and then it's going to cross the Atlantic, as it did, and arrive in Plymouth, Massachusetts. And, and will people be permitted to board the ship to actually go on it and see yes. the living conditions that the pilgrims yes, underwent? Yes, That's the purpose of it, How to wonderful. really bring that's, this... That's extremely exciting. Yeah. I, I think I want to make a, a visit to Plymouth, Massachusetts. Well, they've How already do you, they've done such a good job over the years with Plymouth Plantation, which is this living history museum where costumed interpreters take you back in time in a very serious way. It's not goofy. They, they really make history come to life, as I just said. So that is one of them. Another is the country of Dubai. Now, why Dubai? Dubai is having the first World's Fair ever to be held in the Middle East. And it's going to be one of the biggest festivals ever held anywhere, and it will be the one, it, it's going to be the biggest event ever held in the Middle East. It's going to be a, it's going to take place over 173 days. They've put aside a thousand acres near the Dubai airport, and they're building these buildings. It, it, it looks like you're you're going into the new Star Wars movie. <laughs> That's how modernistic these buildings look. Some of them look odd. Do you know what a finger spinner is? No, not it's at all. It's this little Polly. metal toy. One of the buildings looks just like a giant fizzle, uh, finger spinner. Uh, but in the buildings, there's going to be one, one uh, United Nations pavilion celebrating the 75th anniversary of that important institution. And then there's going to be different buildings from countries all over the world showing their new technologies, foods, all kinds of performances. They're going to be talking a lot about sustainability. So this is going to be, I think, very exciting. And also, 
to be honest, is a way for Dubai to kind of burnish its reputation. Because in recent years, you know, this is a, a, a country where they've built these massive, very modern skyscrapers, but they've done it by treating their workers very, very badly. And so they've had people from all over the Middle East, from the Indian subcontinent, they've come to Dubai and it's it's come out that they've been treated like slave labor. And so I think that this, so it's an interesting thing to recommend Pauline, because uh, I feel a little mixed about Dubai. Otherwise, but, apart from their treatment of, of the labor that works on their buildings, Dubai is a tolerant country by Middle Eastern by standards. By Middle Eastern standards, You don't yes. have strict clothing codes. You, you don't have anti-drinking. I, I think there are even places to have alcohol yes. in, in Dubai. So it will be a pleasant visit that well, is no different from the visit to any World's Fair that you might go, well, and go it's, to at and some And seeing point. Dubai itself is supposed to be fascinating. I mean, they have wacky things like indoor ski mountains <laughs> where you can we go all know skiing year-round yes. and, and these incredible malls. I've only been to the Dubai airport, but I can report back that camel milk chocolate <laughs> has a kind of strange buzz to it, but it's tasty. Um, all right, so Dubai is one. And our last one, and we didn't do these in any order, is Bonn, Germany. Why are we celebrating Bonn, Germany? Because That's a good question, Pauline. It is the you 250th anniversary of Ludwig von Beethoven's birth. He is the favorite son of Bonn. And because of this, they're going to be totally redoing all of the Mozart sites there. But what really excites me is... Across Germany, people are going to be hosting classical music parties in their homes. And they're going to invite anybody who wants to come to come into an actual German home. Not just houses, but little apartments are going to host classical musicians. And there are going to be some 2,000 or so performances of classical music across Germany. And as a person who loves to snoop, I think this sounds like a hell of a lot of fun. Well, that includes classical music that was composed by Ludwig von Beethoven, yes, yes. And, there, and some of and the that, world's that is greatest. always thrilling to listen yes, to. Yes, and some of the gr- world's greatest musicians will be coming to Bonn to do special performances. There's going to be informational panels. There's going to be, you know, all kinds of ex- exhibitions. Um, it's it's going to be a really really interesting time uh, to be in Germany. I think. Um, and, and Pauline, that concludes 19 of the 20 slots yes. that we have created. And then we had our pick from our, our you'll have to go to our site to see which uh, destination our readers picked. It'll be up by now. So we hope you'll go see what what America thinks deserves your place. So once again, we've been talking about the Fromer's Best Places to Go in 2020 list. You can see it by going to www.fromers, F-R-O-M-M-E-R-S.com slash best places 2020. And I hope you'll go because we, we have some darn good photos up, uh, which will show you what we've been talking about. We'll be right back after these messages. Thank you. 
Welcome back to The Travel Show. We have one of our favorite guests on the line. He is Scott Merowitz. He works for the Points Guy. What is your title there, Scott? And welcome back to the show. Thank you. Always great to be on. I'm the executive editorial director, which is just a fancy way of saying I oversee about 40 editors and reporters here at the Point Sky who cover all aspects of travel. See, and I thought your title was going to be aviation geek because... <laughs> well, that's... That's that's on the back of my business card. Right. Okay. Because you really, really spend a lot of time and have for years writing about flights, writing about airlines. And now the points guy has a study out about the best and worst airports in the United States. Tell me how that study was put together. Yeah, we decided to look at the cost of flying. And I think way too often people just book their airfare and don't actually think so much about like the logistics of what airport you're going to go to. And not everyone has choices. But mm-hmm. if you're in the New York area or if you're in San Francisco you do, or L.A., you do have some choice. In or what Chicago. Or Chicago, exactly. And you have some choices. Uh, Domestic airfare will always be a big part of it, but we can add that as about half of our study. Then we started looking at parking fees or the cost of a taxi or Uber to and from the airport, baggage cart rentals, and even the price of a cup of coffee. And we found massive shifts out there and wanted to really highlight what some of those cheap and expensive airports are. So travelers can make decisions, but also so we can sort of, um, how can I put this, shame airports who are at the (laughs) top of this list into doing right. No one should be paying $6 for a cup of coffee at an airport. Right. Well, let me ask you, is it sometimes $6 at one area's airport and then three at another, say JFK to LaGuardia? Or, or does this really change by region? It, it changes a little by region and a little by airport, and it's not that dramatic. Dramatic, I will say. Uh, Portland has the cheapest cup of coffee at two dollars and fifteen cents, huh. and LaGuardia is the highest at three dollars and ten. And this was just a simple um, cup of coffee from Starbucks. None, none of the fancy coffees or right, right. crazy espressos you can get, but just a simple cup of joe. But it kind of it kind of shows the difference between those two regions. Although Portland is a very coffee crazy city, so I'm surprised that their cup of joe is is the most affordable because they they take it so seriously. All right, they do, but they don't want to be ripped off. <laughs> right. Good. Uh, well, let's get off coffee and on to airports. Which ones made the top of your list in terms of best value airports? So the cheapest ones out there, the most affordable, Las Vegas McCarran International, hmm. Orlando International, Fort Lauderdale Hollywood International, San Jose in California, and Oakland in California. Those were the all-around best between airfare, getting to city centers, parking fees, all of those. So was Las Vegas number one? Las Vegas was number one. In terms uh, of the... Airfare, airfare's cheap, hmm. and... Parking's cheap and baggage carts are cheap. And while I've definitely been ripped off on the cost of a taxi, generally speaking, to get to the strip, you're still talking 20, 25 bucks versus, you know, dropping $100 from JFK. Now, I remember back in the day when Las Vegas really relied on gambling, its hotels were uh, uh, 
cheap on purpose to try and get people into those beds and to the tables, you know, into the slot machines. So they were underwriting the cost of of the stay. Las Vegas, I remember, is one of the only airports that I've ever been in that has slot machines. Uh, do you yep. think they're un- underwriting any of the costs with people <laughs> gambling away their their savings at the at the airport? I, I'm sure there is some revenue that they are making off of that, and it's underwriting the cost. Also, if you think about this as an airport, it's been around for a while and got lots of land. So there's not tons that they have to do there construction-wise. It's not like building in LaGuardia where you're sandwiched between a highway and the water. Sure. Um, and, you know, slot machines definitely help, and they've got a lot of food. And people who are on vacation and willing to spend a little extra money probably. Well, and also Las Vegas has one of the most dramatic arrivals of any airport because you fly. It feels like you're going to land on the Strip itself. You fly over that incredibly gaudy city uh, to get there. And it's very dramatic and fun. It's part of the experience. And so you're very near downtown when you're at the airport. You are. Not downtown, but the Strip, I should say. The Strip. I'm going to put in a plug right now because we did an incredible time-lapse video at the airport 24 hours. Mm. And like you see just how close you are and the really cool landscape there. And it's one of my favorite airports in this country. Oh, wow. All right. We are speaking with Scott Merowitz of The Point Sky. They just came out with a study fairly recently about the best and worst airports in the United States when looking at value. Where are we going to get ripped off, Scott? Well, New Yorkers, here's something that uh, I don't need to tell you. It's expensive to live here. Of our five most expensive airports, Number one, Newark. Number two, JFK. And number five, LaGuardia. Sandwiched in between those was Dulles and San Francisco. Huh. That's, well, not surprising. Although I'm actually surprised that that we didn't, I'm I'm a native New Yorker. I, I would have thought we would have taken the top three, darn it. (laughs) You know, part of it is we did calculate the cost to get into Manhattan from Newark, Mm -hmm. and at rush hour, it can be very expensive. So that did uh, skew that a little bit towards the top of that list. I got to say, I took the subway the other day. I I flew into LaGuardia. Did you, I mean, that is a possibility. I had to carry my bags up and down and up and down. Uh, But, you know, you only looked at, at automobile transportation, not public transportation. So I I believe firmly in public transit to and from airports. I love that. Uh, Portland is a great airport for that. Even JFK is tolerable. Um, LaGuardia, I've done it too personally. If you're carrying little luggage, great. But what we found is still the majority of people end up taking cabs to the airports, even in New York, unfortunately. Hmm. Wow. Well, very interesting. If people want to see all of this material, where should they go, Scott? Just go to the Point Sky or just uh, do a search on Google for the cheapest and most expensive airports in the U.S., the Point Sky, and you will find our reports. And it actually, it does make a difference. It really can cut into the overall cost of a vacation. So as you've been hearing, we have been speaking with Scott Marowitz of the Point Sky. Don't turn that dial. We'll be right back.
Welcome to The Travel Show. I'm Pauline Fromer, here with my dad, Arthur Fromer, and I'm so pleased to have our next guest on the line. She's Anna Brooke. She has been writing Fromer's Easy Guide to Paris for a couple of years now. The Fromer's Easy Guide to Paris 2020 is out. It's on the shelves, and it's very helpful. Many congratulations, Anna, on a job well done once again. Thank you very much. And hello, everybody. Hello. So I've been getting a lot of questions from people here in the United States about the status of Notre Dame. You know, people who are going in the next couple of months wondering what they will be able to see of it, if anything. Um, So um, in a nutshell, you can't get to the cathedral actually on the island. Hmm. Um, but you can um, you can see it. You can still well, there's, there's a lot of it to see. <laughs> well, when you say you can't get to it on the island, let's let's explain for our, our listeners who have never been to Notre Dame. You know where it is and and how it's situated, so that makes more sense to them. Yes, yeah, so it's on Ile de la Cité, which is one of the two islands which is in the which make up the, the, the very centre of Paris. Um, and there's and a river that flows through Paris, and hence there's an island in the middle of the city. Exactly. Right. Okay. Um, and uh, and the cathedral dominates, as you can imagine, the streets around it. So there are wonderful walks along the Seine uh, where you can uh, you're in the shadow of the cathedral and you can see lots of details. Um, and though all of those are still open. Okay. Um, the the glaring difference is, of course, if you were to compare a picture from last year with this year, um, then you would see the roof. <laughs> yeah. The roof that's missing. So the roof is um, still missing. Is there a tarp over it? What does it look like? Um, there's lots of scaffolding. Huh. Um, and yes, there's something over it protecting it. Um, so you can yeah. see it from afar, not from up close. Obviously, you can't well, you go can, in. You can see it from quite, it's quite close. You're literally just across one of the arms of the of the Seine, ah, uh, one of the okay. branches of the Seine. So, yeah, you can get quite close to it. But when do they think it will reopen to visitors? Any word on that? No, none mm. at all. <laughs> I don't actually think they know because it's such a... Um, such an old building and uh, I think restoring it is going to take a long time mm. and I don't think they're willing to forward any dates. I know when the um, when the, the, the fire first happened there was talk of it being reopened in the next few years. I don't know whether that's happening. The word on the street at the moment um, is that it's not in the foreseeable future and they still recommend for people who are wanting to attend services um, then they have, you obviously can't do that in Notre Dame, so they're having special services in other churches like mm. saint Eustache, for mm-hmm. instance, which is a beautiful church um, in Les Halles, um, which is worth seeing in, it, in its own right. It's right. just not as famous as Notre Dame. Um, well, but yeah. are we seeing that a lot of uh, other Attractions are getting the millions that used to go to Notre Dame. Has this led to more crowding in other places? Um, I know that the Louvre has had overcrowding issues. Whether that's in relation to Notre Dame, I don't. I don't know whether you can actually pin it down to that particular incident. 
Right. But uh, I do know that Paris is as popular as ever. Absolutely. Um, sure. One one place that I I think is probably being having a little bit more attention, um, and is definitely worth going to. <clears throat> excuse me. If you um, if you do want to see Notre Dame before the roof was burnt, it's a virtual reality oh. um, attraction at the Opéra. So it's right. Right by the Opéra Garnier, the beautiful 19th century opera that you see in the postcards. Which is also um, worth seeing, too. And you can not only see operas at the opera, but tour it. And this is where the Phantom of the Opera, uh, you know, thing played out, right? I mean, that's, exactly, that's based yeah, on that, that place. That's right, yeah. I, um, it's not open to the public, but I had the opportunity to visit the actual underground lake. Ooh. Uh, that uh, that the the opera house is built on it. It wasn't just. Uh, Did they do um, that for acoustics, or just it was just a fluke that there's an underground lake beho- below no, the opera I, house? I believe that it was because during the construction, Paris is on lots of water sources, mm-hmm. uh, and during the construction, they discovered um, that there was water seeping in, so they had to. Uh, I'm not an engineer, so I don't know what the actual technical terms are, but they had to build this chamber and allow the water to. To, to go in there right? Uh, in order for the building to be stable. We're speaking with Anna Brooke, who is the author of Fromer's Easy Guide to Paris. And so, Anna, you were saying there's a really fun virtual reality version of Notre Dame that people can go to. You also briefly touched on the crowds at the Louvre. What's the advice? Because everybody, if you're going for the first time to Paris, you have to see the Louvre. How do you make it less of a difficult experience? So um, just going back to the to the virtual reality place, that's called Flyview for oh, anyone who's you. interested in looking it up, Flyview. Yes. Um, and so for the, for the Louvre, um, basically the best times, buy your tickets in advance. Mm-hmm. That's an absolute must. Um, and in fact, some of the issues that have been um, highlighted because of the overcrowding is that people have been turned away if they haven't had time allocated tickets. Wow. So you have to have tickets in advance. Does it cost more to get those tickets? Um, no, not usually. Uh, no. They, sometimes, depending on where you get them, there might be a little, you know, a, a visa fee or so a credit card fee. 30, but, um, 30 seconds. So you get the tickets in advance. And then what do you when do you go? So I would recommend that if you want to beat the crowds, that you go either on a Wednesday evening or a Friday evening. Ah, okay. Um, Because it's open late and most don't know that? That's right. Ah, Yeah. Okay. We are going to be discussing more with Anna Brooke after these messages, so don't turn that dial. We'll be right back. Welcome back to The Travel Show. I'm Pauline Fromer, here with my father, Arthur Fromer. And on the line, we have Anna Brooke, who is the author, we are very proud to say, of Fromer's Easy Guide to Paris 2020. Now, when you go to Paris, Anna, you want to eat and you want to drink and you want to be a gourmand. Uh, but there's some 
interesting trends in Paris that that might actually lead you to another European country. Uh, you were telling me in the break that one of the biggest trends is is not French food right now. That's right, Pauline. There's a huge trend at the moment for Italian food. Huh. Um, Italian has always been present in the city, always very present. But at the moment, it seems that it seems to be completely exploding. <laughs> well, you know, um, that's, that seems so odd, because when you think of the differences in that those two cuisines, you think of Italians being kind of more down home, more rustic, whereas French is very elevated. It's all about different techniques. Um, how, how is Italian suddenly flourishing in France? Well, I do think that the one thing the two countries share is a love for good produce, mm -hmm. using the best produce from small producers. Um, and so I think um, that Italian cuisine speaks to a French audience. Huh. Um, and, um, and, you know, the French, they love burgers and they love pizzas. <laughs> it's uh, <laughs> it's the dirty little secret. Exactly. So are these uh, Italian restaurants that are being started by Italians who have moved to France? Or is it French people who are now cooking extremely good Italian food? So there's both. Some people, um, you know, France has lots of immigration as well and lots of European immigration. So uh, some people, you know, might have family members, grandparents or even parents who who have Italian roots. Um uh, yes, I think it, it really, really depends. But it has. There's one restaurant that's been named um, by a website called Fifty Top Italy um, as the top Italian restaurant outside of Italy, huh. uh, and that's Passerini. Have um, you been? So, so this kind of Italian. Uh, slant to the cooking scene is getting international attention at the moment. Very interesting. And uh, the Eiffel Tower is getting its own wine. What is that? Is that just a, a silly promotional thing or is this something real? Well, who, who knows <laughs> how long uh, it will last, but I, I get the impression that it's, uh, it's something they want to do for the, for the foreseeable future. Because um, uh, lots of people listening probably don't realize, but um, the the um, area around Paris for centuries was a wine growing region, um, and you can see remnants of it in Montmartre, where's, where there's um, where there's still the, uh, the the vineyard that has their harvest every year with a big party all around the Sacré Cœur, um, and uh, and so the Eiffel Tower is trying to shine light on this um, this unknown factor. Um, and they are using locally grown wines that they're maturing on the tower, hence the link. There's not, no one's planting vines on the Eiffel Tower. So they're not, but, okay, I thought for a second you were saying they were planting vines on the tower. No. No, 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 they're, they're maturing them so in the tower. So in barrels on the Eiffel Tower, well, that can't be too many. I mean, you still need no. room for tourists, so this is going to be very expensive wine, I would think. Don't know how much it's going to cost. It's, it's supposed to be uh, so. Of course, we're still on the cusp of 2020. So all this is is um is something that that's going to be put in place next year. So yeah, we'll find out. How Interesting, much it's going and to cost. I'm I'm sure you will cover it in Frommer's Easy Guide to Paris. We've got about two minutes left. 
If somebody wants to go to Paris to have a very romantic time, I think this is a place a lot of people go to when they want to propose uh, or do something or go for a honeymoon. What, what are some of the top sites to go to for romance today, would you say? I think, hands down, one of the perhaps most cliched, but at the same time, genuinely fabulous experiences is to go on a boat along the Seine. Mm, um, And, you know, and if you can afford it, why not have a meal? Um, And at night, of course, when all of the monuments are lit up. um, Yeah, I... I But are the meals that good on those boats or does it vary by boat? It varies by boat, yeah. A A good staple that you can trust is Bateau Parisien. Bateau Parisien, so Parisian yeah. boat, uh, and that, and they have good food, and you could, you can, uh, I guess, time your your proposal to when you are passing by the the, the ruined shell of Notre Dame or or some <laughs> other some Why other. Not? site that you see yeah well one thing that that they i know they are cracking down on that lovebirds in paris used to do was putting those locks on bridges and those have been damaging bridges right we've been we've been telling readers forever not to do that yeah and you shouldn't do it (laughs) anywhere it uh, it was so upsetting because you know i'm obviously in love with the city sure um and uh and yeah the 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 pont Pont des arts which was like where everybody put all the the locks on literally was was defaced it was um it was falling yeah. apart well we thank you so much for appearing on the travel show we've been speaking with anna brooke who is the author of fromer's easy guide to paris 2020 pick it up Welcome back to the Fromer Travel Show. I'm Pauline Fromer here with my dad, Arthur. And we started out the show by talking about the best places to go in 2020. Uh, One of those is Tokyo because of the Olympics. But I think that Japan is kind of a great place to go if you're into weird things. And I'll give you weird things. I'll give you an example. There is an inn in Fukuoka, which is uh, an island, it's a city on the island of Kyushu uh, in Japan. And they have put out an offer that has made the press worldwide. And it talks about how desperate people are for promotion on the web. An inn's owner has said that if you will allow him to live stream your entire stay at the inn. So have a video going of you sleeping and of you, I don't know if you're going to have to show yourself going to the bathroom, uh, but if you will allow him to live stream, and they won't do lewd acts on camera, they're saying, and there's going to be a changing room so you can do that out of sight, but everything else you have to do in sight of viewers, he will only charge you $1 a night. (laughs) <laughs> no, <laughs> and who will be watching this live stream, Pauline? I guess all of the people who we're telling about this today. 
I don't know. In other words, you'd be able to pick it up in your own home, on your own computer, the live streaming of someone staying in a Japanese hotel. Yes, so that is happening on a small island. (laughs) And then elsewhere in Tokyo, now, of course, Japan is known for its high-tech toilets. I don't know if you've ever used a Japanese toilet. I love them. They make your fanny feel warm. They shoot water into interesting crevices. Well, they have now opened... A poop museum. It's you know that I have vaguely heard about that and have not known whether or not want to, whether I wanted to learn more about it. Well, you know, there's an emoji, which is one of those little symbols right. uh, that people put in their emails, and one shows poop. And so uh, apparently a lot of it is devoted to that. A lot of it is devoted to toilets. Um, it, it's uh, it's very very strange. And you, can, oh, you cannot uh, you cannot do better than the poop museum. Only in Japan, and I got to say, maybe not only in Japan, because I've been to Taipei and I've eaten at the Barbie restaurant where all of the food is pink. Um, it wasn't very good, <laughs> but it was an interesting experience. And in Japan, I've also been to cat cafes, which are coming here now. Uh, but you you basically sit on the floor and allow a bunch of cats to crawl all over you, and you pet them, and you drink stuff, and everybody giggles with their hands in front of their mouths, and it's very Japanese. Uh, but that's one of the reasons I love Japan. I mean, you you see this older, very deep very zen culture, and then this wacky stuff happens. Uh, So, another reason to go to Japan besides the Olympics. I'm looking at the clock. We have to say goodbye for this hour. And therefore, we we wish you a hearty bon voyage.